morning. Hi, I'm Bryce. And I'm Will. And this is Side Quests, a podcast about game design, learning, and where we don't stay on topic. Almost ever. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet, so I have no reason to suspect it's going to happen at all. Right. Although if you call off-topicness the topic, it gets hairy. Yeah, that's tricky. Let's not do that. Which I maybe just did. Oh, <laughs> no. So everything we do from now on some, is on topic. Some kind of Epimenides. That guy. What? Epimenides? I don't know who the that is. The Cretan who's a liar. Cretan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that guy. All right. Instead, let's talk about some stuff related to video games. Yeah, we can do that. We didn't really do that a lot the last time we sat down. Right. Well, the last time we talked for like two hours and then it became two podcasts. Yeah, which you wouldn't know, dear listeners. Well, you would because we said it like Uh, multiple times in each podcast. But through the magic of time travel, right. you might have forgotten. Yep. So, we... Sorry, I just saw a note in my notebook that made me chuckle. Yeah. It says, Stairs of Death. Oh. Wait, is that a look? Like Medusa? No, it is not like that. It is like a space in a house designed to get you from one floor of it to another floor oh, of it. Oh, but instead, the place it's trying to get you is death. Yes. No, no. The stairs are of death, not to death. Both. Oh, stairs <laughs> of death to death. It's like of the death to the death. For the death. It's like our government. Yeah, yeah, just like that. No, I was in Portland, Maine this last weekend, and it snowed while I was up there, and I was walking along the, the water. We were actually walking to the science center there to learn about sharks, Ooh. which was fun. But we parked some distance away and yeah. turned it down. The waterfront in Portland, Maine is funny. It's because it's kind of dingy. <laughs> in a delightful way. Well, we were up on this one part, like we parked in front of an elementary school, I think. And then we walked down towards the water. I think I might have done this. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so then we got to this, uh, there's like this path, but then they hadn't really plowed because it was like 50 degrees or something. They hadn't oh, plowed see. all of the paths necessary. Right. So there was snow on the ground because it had snowed. Right. But it was warm enough that they were just going to wait it out. Right. Because it was also like a long right. weekend. Well, they actually did, I think, plow the yeah. roads or do something. Right. But not all of the paths in the park had snow removal done to them. Right. So then we walked along this one path, and then there's this part, which in the summer is probably great, but there are stone stairs without a railing. Right. That had not been cleared of snow in any way. And it was melty and slushy and a little bit frozen again because it was in the shade. And so there was just ice down this set of stone stairs without a handle. Oh, so it was like a sledding trail. Yeah, but with rocks with sharp corners for you to smash your head in if you fell. So those are the stairs of death. All right. Of death to death. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. All right, we're uh, veering into the news. Yeah, that's true. We'll come back to the news a little bit later. Last week, we promised a discussion. Yeah. Which which is a sacred promise between a <laughs> podcaster and a listener. That's true. Well, for you, it was two weeks ago. And for me, it... Was it also two weeks was ago. Was also two weeks ago that we talked about it. But I spent two weeks listening to it oh, again. So to it was like it minutes ago, maybe. Well, because I was going to Portland, I had to finish editing the whole podcast by Friday. Yeah. So that I could get out of there and not worry about it over the weekend in order to put this out on Monday. So for me, I finished up sometime okay. last week. Cool. So we promised a discussion about it, a number of topics. Right. Well, so our good friend and not producer, sorry, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, I didn't mean to rub it in. No, but we would love a producer. Oh, yeah. I mean, if someone wants to be a producer. <laughs> um, I want to be a producer. <laughs> the title is there and available. But it involves production. (laughs) Right, yeah, it's work, it turns out. So Jeff called in and brought up a really interesting point. And why don't we go ahead and play his call right now? All right. Okay. Which we did last time also. It's not new. Right. But here you go. Hey, this is Jeff calling in. I was just listening to episode 10, and especially the part about when Will was talking about Zelda and how he felt like he kind of like just didn't necessarily have interest in learning a given skill if it didn't seem essential. It was like the game designers were kind of looking over your shoulder saying like, you know, you really should build out your bow hunting skills because, you know, this was specifically written for that. And, you know, you're kind of doing it all ugly and ruining our game. Not that they're really doing that, but I like that kind of internal internal monologue of the game creator. And it made me think of how I play StarCraft. And I've played StarCraft. 
with both of you two. When I play Protoss, and I play Protoss in a very specific way, and I don't really play other ways, which is to say I make lots of zealots, like just huge numbers of zealots, and then I hold out with just zealot, zealot, zealot until I can build a carrier, and then I just build carriers. And so I, I, I kind of stretch. It's weird because I kind of stretch the sort of foot soldier game as long as I can until I can get to what is really the other end of the power spectrum and build the most powerful unit. And I guess when I when I thought about that in light of what Will said, I remember being frustrated when people play against me more than once or twice, and then, you know, if you're a decent player, you can figure out my strategy, and then you can beat me. And I feel frustrated because I feel like it is the, the creators of StarCraft who have said, no, player, you really can't just stick to two units. You've got to build some skills and get out there and win some games with other things. And uh, I guess I'm kind of, like, resentful of that. And I hold out on this theory that if I really hone my game, I can just beat anybody. And if I just pay closer attention, maybe it'll be a little harder than if I really knew how to use more units, but, but there'd be some kind of like purity to my play style that is like a virtue unto itself somehow. That's probably just wrong, but it made me wonder, do you think that there's something essential about a game like StarCraft where the game creators have exerted so much control statistically over how the game is played that my imagining is just totally off base? That's my question. I think it's kind of philosophical because obviously even though the game has been really thoroughly plumbed out statistically, different plays and different styles and different players regularly come up with all kinds of wild things that are different, but for what it's worth, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> and we talked a little bit about this last week, or two weeks ago for some of us. Yeah, and uh, as we said previously, there's a can of worms yeah. here. It's open and they're wriggling, and we need to just look at the worms one by one, probably. Yeah, probably. And so my big thing that this made me want to talk about was play styles, which yeah. you're talking about. Like, you were describing in that call a very specific play style. And the other thing that this draws to mind is metagame. Right, and those are interesting because play styles... I guess almost all games have play styles available to them, maybe. But maybe not. Um, I think they all probably do. Yeah. Well, I mean, are we, are we still banning talking about Mario? Uh, I think we can talk about Mario. Okay. Or so, Final Fantasy at this point. All right. So if you're playing Mario, you can run as fast as you right. can through the level. Yeah. Or you can inch your way through, right. find, look at each element, and hop gracefully and gently over things. Right. In Mario 3, you could enjoy grabbing leaves and flying over things, or mm -hmm. grabbing fireballs and shooting them. Right. But some levels open that up, and yeah. some of them don't. Right, that's true. And all play styles aren't available in all levels in all games. Right. Which is, that's one of the causes of the like kind of first order optimal problem, of optimal mm. solution, rather. <laughs> <laughs> first, you have a first order optimal problem, yeah. um, which is Usually what, like the, a Goomba? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where you have found a solution that works, and that's your style, and then you're forced to do something else. Mm -hmm. Th that can happen. And it's funny, because so far in those examples, it's all single-player games. Right. Where playstyle is actually a lot more open, and a lot of times they program them into the game. Like, I took a few notes, and I was thinking about games where there are wizards and rogues and warriors, and you can choose mm -hmm. to be one of those things. <laughs> I just think that should be the title of the game because there's wizards and warriors but there could be wizards and rogues and warriors oh yeah if i was going to release like a roguelike on steam that would be my title <laughs> all right you heard it here first but also there's stealth is a common one that they implement in here in single player games where they make a stealthy option and then a run and gun option right well and one of the things that's true about single player games mm. is that you can succeed at them. You succeed at a single-player game by having your success be above a certain known bar. Hmm. If you're good enough, you will beat the game. Okay. But the bar for multiplayer games is infinitely high. Well, it's constantly moving. Right. So it's a height now, and the next time it will probably be higher. Right, until it reaches some... There's some function you could use to describe <laughs> the skill ceiling of various games. Yeah, I... Hmm. And probably if you looked at that function and what function described the skill ceiling of various games, that would be a good measure of how interesting the game was as a 
a multiplayer competitive game, huh? Right, like because if the skill ceiling is barely changes, then right, and then this is become boring. This is hard to do because skill as a number. Wait, it's not a number. <laughs> <laughs> You've been playing too much D and D, where you uh, have skill I just points. Have skill points, yeah, I just uh. put them in things. <laughs> Speaking of which, and this came up, uh, I was talking to another friend of mine named Will about Eve Online. Ah, yes. Spreadsheets. Uh, spreadsheets online. So I started playing Eve a little bit. Okay. And my understanding is that you actually cannot start playing Eve a little bit. You can either play it a lot or not at all. Okay. Uh, this has not been true for me, but I don't think it's actually that fun. A well, maybe that's why you don't play it a little bit. Because then you just stop playing it because it's not that fun. Right. Well, I also am still doing the tutorials and maybe the fun part is yet to be. Right. So I'm not done. Yeah. I just have a love of spaceships and a wariness of MMOs, but also some time on my hands. I mean, I think it's true that there's a lot of games where you have to make this decision and you're like, am I going to just really invest in this game really hard and spend a lot of my time on it? Mm -hmm. If I am, it's going to be awesome. And if I'm not... It's not going to be fun. It's going to be boring. I'm going to be bad at it. Whatever. Like, I, I can't get the real experience unless I put all this time in. My experience with this kind of game is that I get way into it for a small number of months. Yeah. Two or three. And then I spend a week not able to access it, and then I just let it go. Yeah. So, speaking of, quote, this kind of game, my engagement with Magic is very much like that. Which, mm. like, loops back to metagame, but I'm, I think we might have skipped over your EVE Online point, so I want to... Oh, I'm not sure. It apparently has a very interesting metagame. And Will, the other Will, right. is apparently a very high-level, important mm. guild he's leader. He's like a duke. Yeah, apparently he's good. To the point where like he needed to be interviewed for some sort of nope. Eve promotional thing. For Eve TV. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I heard some of it. I was going to help him with it. And then the time I was going to help him with it came and went, so it didn't mm. happen. And I don't know if I failed or... If something else happened, I, I'm willing to accept a failure. <laughs> failures, <on my> <laughs> failures were made. <laughs> yeah, and so I didn't end up doing that. But he's apparently important and good at leading, right at eving, yeah, leading eves. So maybe we one day could get him on and, wow. and talk to him about the metagame of Eve. Wow, we could have guests. Yeah, I'm interested in guests. I like people. I'm interested in guests that are. And that aren't Jeff. Yeah, a bunch of guests. <laughs> <laughs> so, you were bringing up magic. And before we go much farther in this discussion, I would like to define a metagame. Okay, but wait, before we even get there. Oh, no. Yeah, no. It's where we're at. <laughs> this isn't some kind of main quest. It's a side quest. <laughs> All um, right, where are we going? So, the thing about single-player games is that you just have to beat the game, and it's static. It doesn't mm -hmm. change, or it oh, can yeah, yeah. if you release a patch. But more or less, it's static. It's supposed to be static. And then multiplayer games are constantly changing. And mm -hmm. so playstyle in single-player games is much more open because you can have a suboptimal playstyle in oh, a single-player yeah. game that is good enough. That's true. But a suboptimal playstyle in a multiplayer game is by definition not good enough. Mm. And so, um, and this is kind of what Jeff was describing in playing StarCraft. There's a sense in which, like, if I can succeed in Zelda by mm. running around to the back of things and hitting them and, like, not caring about the special timing attacks. Or worrying too much about whether or not you threw your sword. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, if I can do all those things and I can get through and I can eventually kill Ganon and, I don't know, probably save a princess? I haven't done it yet. You probably do both of those things. Um, but my guess is that I'm going to kill Ganon. I'm going to get a Master Sword, kill Ganon, and save a princess. If I can do all three of those things, it doesn't matter if I'm doing it the best way. Right. But the thing Jeff is describing is the thing where if you're playing against other people, you maybe don't have the choice of succeeding in right. a not best way. You can play in a certain way and fail because mm -hmm. people will kill you. Yeah. And there are ways that you can fail and still have a positive experience. Yeah. But one of those ways is not getting rushed five minutes into the game by the enemy's army that is enormous because they knew exactly what the right build order was and spent time practicing. I know you have done this. Yeah, and there's a sense in which if you are playing a video game against other people, you want to have a compatible experience. And if you today, dear listener, download Brood War and just jump into a match, Ugh. you're just going to lose. This is saying that it's not like your new computer and you were playing Brood War on your old computer yesterday <laughs> and you're just jumping right back in where you were. This is like, 
If you're brand new to it. Yeah. But even if you're not brand new. Right. Like you've um, beaten the campaign. Yeah. Because the level of play in this game is so high that there are very, very few acceptable paths to success mm. because all of the paths have been pruned. Right. And so this brings us to metagame. Yes. And that's how I wanted to get there. Mm, right. We're there. So metagame is essentially those paths. So there are a number of strategies that you can use in high level play. And this mostly has to do with high level play. But high-level play filters down into lower-level right. play. It is not high-level play exactly. It is competitive play. It is play sure. where the goal is to win the game primarily, and you are willing to do various things. Like, and it's different in different games. Like, what it means to win at all costs is different mm. in different games. Right. Like, in Magic, it's with literal dollars. <laughs> yeah. I have a number of problems with Magic the Gathering. Most of my problems with Magic the Gathering have to do with money. Right. Like, actual currency yeah. that you could use to instead pay for rent. Yeah, which I also have a lot of problems with. <laughs> currency. <laughs> all right, but let's... <laughs> Before we go into a tangent about capitalism and its various merits and flaws, <laughs> let's just... Reel it back a little and say that in that system, which we're in... Wait, we're talking about magic? Well, in the, cur <laughs> the currency, currency system... system. <laughs> There's a problem with magic. Magic has problems with its interface with that. Yeah, no doubt. And it is specifically that in order to win, you have to spend a lot of money. Right. Yes. You just have to. Yes. There's an amount of money you must spend to be playing the game mm. in a competitive fashion. And I guess maybe that's what we really mean by playing competitively. It is doing the set of things it takes to like reach a baseline. Hmm. And in some games, it's practice, right? right. Like, okay. if you're playing sports, the baseline is being in shape. Yeah, and it depends on the sport. So there is actually a baseline that means you have to purchase a certain amount of equipment. Right. And for some games, that's like a ball. Right, or shoes optional yeah. <laughs> you know um but then you get like hockey you have to have skates and pads and a stick and a right. puck and many other people to practice with yeah. and access to a rink and all this other stuff so there's a certain amount of economic cost to get into any game yeah but so for starcraft it is purchasing StarCraft. Right, you've purchased StarCraft, and then if you want to play competitively, there's just a lot of time you have to sink into right. practice. And in fact, most of these games have a time component. Yeah. There's a time component and a money component in all of yeah. these games. But the metagame is what happens when a lot of people are playing competitively, and most of them are doing most of the things they need to do in order to succeed. And, and Magic is like a weird example. It might literally be the game where the term metagame comes from. Interesting. I think it might be the first game that like okay. used the phrase to describe strategy? I believe it. I mean, it's usually not applied to sports. Yeah. Of the analog variety. Right. P-sports. <laughs> Snail sports. S-sports. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it is... It's almost never applied to that. Although there are strategies that show up and, yeah. and occasionally somebody does a new thing in a, one of those sporting events that they play at the Olympics that involve judges. And you're like, oh man, you did a backflip somehow that yeah. no one's ever done no before. No one's ever twisted that many times in that many different axes while yeah. backflipping. Somebody did a thing in ice skating that involved a triple earlier. Oh man, I watched the tiniest Olympics. bit of ice skating and everyone was so sparkly. It's like the whole Olympic village got caught in a glitter bomb. <laughs> they probably did. And yeah. it just was the ice skaters, like, walking into the yeah. practice or whatever. Man. Yeah, I don't fully understand sports where you need a judge. So I did competitive fencing for a while. Okay. And fencing has a judge. But the judge is there to determine the facts. Right, and I think that might be true for all of these sports, and I just might not understand them well enough. Oh. I think that these sports are way more technical than they are presented as. Okay. Well, that's because they're essentially dancing a lot of them. Right, and so what we see, because we're not skaters, is dancing. Mm -hmm. And we're like, that's cool, you're doing awesome stuff right. that I couldn't do, ever. Now, I do have to say that I did watch the snowboarding half-pipe with Chloe Kim, where she won the gold medal. Okay. She's an American, and she won the gold medal for half pipe. So I watched, like, the last run okay. that they did for this thing. They go down the hill, they do flips, and 
and you watch all of them and everyone else from all these other countries is doing things and in this case it's really interesting because tricks are worth an amount and you have to land them right and you have to like turn a number of times and land and yeah. in this case actually I think there's a pretty clear you've turned that number of times because your board is facing a direction yeah for each half time you've turned and then they do another flip or whatever they're doing I was watching all these people and apparently Chloe Kim already had the gold medal and everyone had to beat her. So they're trying crazy things and a lot of them fell down. Okay. And this is metagame related because there's the thing that somebody did that you now have to try to beat. Yeah, you have to you have to do in some games like this, you just have to do better than it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if you know you have to beat a certain time in a race, mm-hmm. you're just going to be like, "Well, shit, I'm going to run real hard." <laughs> right. And if I collapse, I collapse. And in this case, you can get points in a number of different ways, not just by running faster. Right. So, races have no meta game, um, I would argue. Well, I mean, they might have technique, right. except that if you know you have to do something that you think you can't do mm-hmm. you might just be like i don't know i'm gonna run really hard and collapse right. or succeed but that's like a high risk high reward and there strategy. is definitely strategy like i've watched the tour de france or pieces of the tour de yeah, france yeah. before and there's definitely strategy involved in there oh, and yeah. like being I mean, in the big group right and those kinds of long races there's right. like pacing and strategy concerns right but i, I think that even in sprinting because you do have to make decisions about what you do yeah like when you run the fastest yeah but if it's a thousand meters, it's different. Because <laughs> right. he probably just run the fastest the whole time. <laughs> a thousand's pretty far. Yeah. A hundred meters is really short. Yeah, that's true. A thousand is two and a half times around the track. All right. So that's pretty far. You have to think. You might think about that. Yeah. 400 meters is, I ran it in yeah. high school uh, a couple times. I mean, I ran cross country and then did like one track meet where I so ran. There's like, there's some quantity of distance that you can dead sprint as fast as you can with right. no chance of failure. Right, 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 right. And then once you get beyond that, you have to decide, if I try to run as fast as I can, is it going to slow me down later? Right. And it will, but how much later is there? Yeah, and how much later is there, and how much will it slow me down? And right. There's a bunch of decisions there. But you'll be caused to make different decisions if you're like, well, I know I have to beat this time, mm-hmm. and the only way I can beat this time... Is to start as fast as I can yeah. go now. Yeah, right. is if I like go as fast as I can the whole time. And so I'm going to try... Right. And so you try and maybe you fail right. or whatever. And then what was going on with these snowboarders. Right. And they just had a thing they had to beat. So they all like tried their hardest tricks. Cause like, shit, I got to get nine points. You got to like per flip trick. over 17 times. Yeah. I don't know what they had to do, but a lot of them fell down yeah. and some of them just still didn't make it. And then Chloe Kim won and then she got to go again because everybody got the same number of goes. All right. But she's sitting there. She's like, I won. I get to do this. And she's like, you know what? I'm not going to just down, which she, she right. could have done. She which, already won. That would have been also cool. Right. But what she did was go down and I saw her, and I don't know the difference between a good trick and a better trick, right. except I'm watching and I watch her do her thing. And, and she's she, better. And she was like, obviously better than yeah, everyone yeah. else. Not a little bit. Right. Like, whoa. She did a thing where she like bent in half and twisted and did a thing. And I literally don't understand the geometry of what she was doing in midair. And I'm not a snowboarder. I've never done it. I don't skateboard. Barely. You don't know how to bend. You don't have a body. You're actually disembodied. I hate falling down more than anything. (laughs) So most winter sports are very unappealing as an activity for me. There's so much snow you can land on. Well, not if it's covered in rocks and ice and it's on the (laughs) stairs of death. true. Presumably snowboarding is. Right. Uh, that's how they build half pipes. It's interesting because you can recognize this skill, right? Mm-hmm. You can see that someone... I, I don't follow basketball. I was chatting with a friend some time ago about basketball, and he was like, you were just going to watch some Michael Jordan. Okay. And then we just like went on YouTube, and he like showed me some clips of other people, and then he showed me some clips of Michael Jordan. I was like, oh, this guy is doing something that is like qualitatively different. Yeah, and I was a kid when Michael Jordan was doing most of his best basketball playing. I mean, I'm sure he still plays every once in a while. Right. At least with his friends. Yeah. I don't know who his we... Kids. Yeah, I don't know. What do you do if you're Michael Jordan and it's not the 90s? But, like, I saw him play, you know, I was watching those games, and I understood that he was good and famous and uh, in Space Jam. <laughs> right. Yeah, which is... A pretty, pretty good movie. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I have not seen it since the 90s, so I don't really remember... No, I'm going to stand out on the limb and say Space Jam is a good movie. 
It's a great concept. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I don't know. I think there should be more movies about cartoons abducting. Yeah, I just think there's. I think that we have some taboos about silliness. Mm. Um, and like silliness mixing with seriousness. Right. And I feel like that movie is like, I don't know. We mm. take sports really seriously and cartoons are ridiculous and let's smash them together. <laughs> yeah, I'm also a big fan of the Muppets. So yeah. it's. Uh, yeah. I'm into the silliness. Anyway. Uh, why are we talking about space? So, right, so about space jam oh, for Michael Jordan is very no good. reason. Um, but there's this concept of like really high level play, yeah, um, and it's true in all games. And I think different games have a different amount in which they force players to comply with high level play. Mm-hmm. Right at any given time, there are a lot of players in sports who are the best or the yeah. approximate who are best. very 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 good yeah and there are these weird cases where there's like a clear best person and that happens sometimes and maybe mm-hmm. this has happened with Chloe Kim and maybe it happened with Michael Jordan and maybe it right. happened with Michael Phelps who but, went to high school near where we went to high school yeah in the same county but I didn't know him at all no I assume he was swimming <laughs> yeah, he was, anytime I might have seen him he was probably swimming right. whatever social occasion existed he was probably in a pool yep I, I don't know but in general there's like a lot of different Options. And video games are like less linear than sports, right? Because there isn't this human body component. Mm. There is maybe sometimes that involves like clicking and moving your wrist, but but I mean, there's a certain amount that's your body and that it's your brain, right? But StarCraft has, like, a bunch of different optimal strategies. StarCraft also has a deliberately, like, asymmetric thing where right. you must choose, and, and Magic does, and, and Hearthstone does. Right, and this is part of playstyle, how it fits in with metagame. Yeah. And how there are paths laid out by the developers. Yeah. Or the creators of the game have laid out certain ways you can play. Right. And Magic does this by having the colors of mana that you can build your decks around. And they, there's actually some story components that they add yeah, in. Yeah, they've so written a lot of... There's a lot of text. Right, that you could read or totally ignore and be fine. Although sometimes some of their ridiculous names make a little more sense. Yeah, it's fun. Do it. oh. Yeah, that's something to do. There's five colors of mana in Magic. Right, and there's... what? How many heroes are there? In Hearthstone? In Hearthstone? I don't know. There's not that many. There's a rogue, a paladin, a mage, mage, a cleric, or a priest, rather. What's is, the is necromancer it? one? It's not a necromancer. Oh, um, it's a shaman. There's a shaman. There's a shaman. And then there's the warlock. Warlock. I think that's it. I think there's six. Six? Oh. I can't think of any more. I feel like there's more. Warrior. Seven. Oh, seven. <laughs> we really should probably cut this out. <laughs> Based on Bryce's rule of podcasting, oh. we cannot cut it out anymore. Um, you shouldn't have said anything. I believe, there's, I believe there's seven, but who knows? Yeah, anyway. We could probably actually solve it by listing the hero powers. Oh, God. Is that better? <laughs> um, th- that's how I would remember I them. solve it by opening Hearthstone. But I think I think we oh, got all seven. Fun. I'm pretty sure. All right. And there might be more, in which case we haven't. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. I haven't played the game in a little while. Oh, my God. It's going to update if I open it because yeah, I haven't played it in a while. Just start singing songs at us. Whatever. Hey, welcome to the tavern. All right. That will happen. We were too quick with that, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there's there's these different characters you can play as in Hearthstone, and they have cards that come with them, and then there's generic cards that can go with right. any of them. Yeah, and Darkhaven has the three races. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the Zerg, the Protoss, and the Terrans, yeah. the humans. Yeah, and each of the... The way that these decisions work for pretty much all three of these games is that all of the factions, all of the categories are able to do the same things, basically, mm-hmm. but some of them can do some of them more efficiently than others. Well, it's... Uh... So that's very funny because I think StarCraft does a better job of making them very different from each other yeah. than any of the other examples that we gave. But, okay, maybe. But they all can make early game units that are melee units and late oh, game yeah. units. They do play very differently. Yeah. And I've played a lot of StarCraft. Um I've played a medium amount oh, of StarCraft. I'm, so I'm, I'm very I'm very eager to talk about StarCraft. <laughs> but uh. Yeah, they, they do have some basic correlations between them. Yeah. But they function differently enough that you actually have to wield them differently. So right. there's a skill component that if you are a Terran player, which mostly is what I've played as, okay. so I'm the most comfortable with yep. the Terrans. If you are a Terran player and you are used to starting the game and building SCVs and Marines... And then you would like to go and attack your opponent. And then suddenly you switch and you're playing Zerg. 
it is a very different set of skills you have to learn and understand about how they work to build the zerglings and the drones. Drones, what I call them. Yeah, and in StarCraft, actually, and this is like a little bit technical, but the Zerg are very different from both the Terran and the Protoss, and the Mm -hmm. Terran and Protoss are quite similar to each other. Yeah. Um, There's some differences between them that matter somewhat. Oh, yeah, they're they're certainly different, but so uh, many of you have played StarCraft, but StarCraft is the probably what I would consider the quintessential model of the real-time strategy game when people like think of what an RTS is now. And it involves a combination of two things. You must build resource collectors to collect resources. Mm -hmm. And you must build military units and you must build buildings. So buildings produce things, military units and upgrades. Mm -hmm. And resource collectors collect resources. And you must spend these resources on the other things. Um, So one of the quintessential things in StarCraft and similar RTSs is that there is at all times a choice you can make about whether I'm spending more money in investing in getting money Mm. or whether I'm spending money in investing in destroying my opponent's stuff. Right. So I can buy more ability to produce money which makes Mm. me weaker in a military conflict right now but stronger later and figuring out that like that balance that compromise Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest pieces of starcraft right and so one part built into this metagame is when am i going to invest my military units so you could decide to just build up a small army at the very beginning and then rush in and wipe everybody out right at the beginning of the game while they're still they're thinking i've got a little time i'm gonna build all this money up i'm gonna call it money because i don't want to say vespian gas too many times no and so while they're building up their money to buy resources you are just going to rush in with your army that you've built early and you wouldn't have that much money if the game were to go on much longer Right. And so you can choose to rush in and wipe them out. But maybe they have built enough defense and then set themselves up to have more money later. And in general, in strategy games, in war games, there is a defender's advantage Mm. where you require more resources to succeed in an attack than to succeed in a defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, it is... It's a fragile thing to spend all your money in an early attack and then commit to it. Mm -hmm. Um, If you win, you win. If you don't, you almost certainly lose because your opponent has committed not to just military units and now they just have more stuff. Mm. And so that's one of the kind of quintessential trade-offs in these games is deciding when to do one thing versus when the other. Like when to attack, when to invest in your infrastructure. Right. And it's funny because there's actually a similar thing going on in, say, Magic the Gathering where... If you are playing a red deck, you are... I I really like playing red decks where I will essentially win or lose by turn four. Yeah. Like five or six maybe because, you know, if I get a little unlucky and my opponent gets a little unlucky. And I would like to talk about luck as a component to this whole thing a little bit later. Everyone can stumble. Yeah. So sometimes that's a little later. But if I am doing the best I can, the game will be over by turn four or so. Yeah. And it usually involves hitting them before they actually even have anything on the board if I'm lucky. Right. For two if I can. And so, like, it's a very small amount of damage. And a lot of my playing this game when I was younger involved... That's just unthinkable. Like, why would two points of damage on the first turn matter? Right. But in these higher levels of play and now I haven't played that many high level games I play with you a lot and you're actually a really good player of magic and know more about it than I do I spent more time than is reasonable for humans (laughs) on magic right but like getting two points of damage in very early in the game like in the first turn is actually quite a lot well it's 10% yeah that's so, true. You know. And then if you can increase by 2% or like 5% yeah, or whatever. Can, and a magic, for... in most of these games, there is a slow scaling up of your capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so in StarCraft, you are building more bases, acquiring more resources, being able to build more units, and having higher tech units. In magic, you have more mana mm-hmm. available, so you can summon bigger monsters, right. shoot people in the face with bigger fireballs. Right. And sometimes it's the same fireball, it's just gotten mm-hmm. bigger over yeah. Because of all the mountains involved. <laughs> right, that's true. So an exception to this, and I think I think this is an important place where high-level competitive play comes into effect here, is fighting games, which I haven't okay. done like, that. Like Street Fighter. Like Street Fighter yeah. or Bushido Blade. Right. 
just because I like that game better. I'm not that involved in the high-level competitive play. I did play against somebody who apparently was the state champion for Soul Calibur. Ah. Who beat me. Yeah. So I feel willing to accept this it's claim. pretty reasonable. And I'm, I was pretty good at that game. So I really loved Soul Blade for the PlayStation mm-hmm. 1. Yep. And I talked to my cousin Glenn, who owned the game, and I played this game a lot with in my youth. Hello, Glenn. And I mentioned that I would have to bring it up at some point, so I'm doing it now. Mm-hmm. But I played a lot of that game, and it was hard, and I learned how to do all the special moves. And then Soul Calibur was painfully easy mm-hmm. afterwards, because actually it's a lot friendlier. And right, and well, that's... That's an interesting thing, the, the way that games become friendlier mm-hmm. over time. But yeah. like, I guess one of the things about special moves in fighting games is it's an arbitrary difficulty where mm. you cannot play the game correctly until you have figured out how to do all the special moves. Right. Well, one of the things I love about Bushido Blade is just that it's only time. Like, timing matters more than knowing any particular yeah. move. Yeah, there's like a couple of... We talked about these quote, special move of being able to jump out of the pit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm very good at that one special <laughs> move. <laughs> It's harder than in any other game. That's still true. There's no game that's harder to jump in, I argue. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. So that game takes a lot of that out, but also just understanding your moveset and what you can and can't do is is really important. But in most of the other fighting games, you don't get one-hit kills just by pressing one button. Right. I mean, there might be a one-hit kill that involves pressing, like, 300 buttons. Right. And holding three of them at the same time. Yes, it's arguably no longer one hit. Right. (laughs) But, like, in Bushido Blade, you press triangle and stab them in the head and they die. And if it's the right time, you just, yeah. Right. Anyway, in a lot of these fighting games, there are people who are very good at them and play against each other. Right. Presumably, mostly, they play against each other. Yeah, because they'd be bored if they played against us. Right, they would just win. Yeah. And it takes some number of hits to get me, but mostly it involves me never hitting them at all. Right. And then them saying, oh, that was fun. Not really. Goodbye. And then me being like, why don't you play as a different player so that that you don't know all the moves by heart? And that's one of the things about that is they have different characters with different moves. Yeah. Yeah. Which have built-in play styles. Right, exactly. And so in fighting games, it's mostly slow, high damage doing people and fast, low damage doing people. Okay, but yeah, it, that seems true. I'm very wary of talking about fighting games mm-hmm. in any meaningful way because I have played the very small amount of them. I've and, played a bunch of them, but a long time ago. Yeah, and I'm aware that there is a very deep well of knowledge around fighting game competitive right. play. It's sort of its whole own yeah. universe. Yeah, and there's like, I've read things, I've read articles articles about game design by some of those people and mm. I've like watched some YouTube videos analyzing fights but basically I'm like I have no idea what the crap's going on. Yeah, most of them obscure a lot of what's actually happening to any observer because they happen so fast. Right. And you're a fencer and you understand how fast things happen. Yeah, and I can watch that game. Yeah. But most people can't. Right. Um, and so it involves a lot of how much time you spend with it in yeah. order to understand what even happened. Right. Yeah, and you just need a lot of skill to interpret a thing. And the difference between analysis of, like, person A really messed up versus person B did something really awesome mm. um, is a huge deal, but it's invisible to someone who isn't an expert. Right. And it's funny because... so. To bring it back to StarCraft, you can have messed up 10 minutes ago yeah. by having built your... What's the thing that upgrades your Marines? Oh, an engineering bay. Sure. You built an engineering bay when you should have built another Marine. Yeah. Like, at that particular moment. And yeah. now you've lost. Right. Because you don't know it Right. Because it turns out you built that, but then you didn't have the money to do the upgrade at the right time because of spreadsheets. Right. Um, and right. someone else had literally made spreadsheets to design their build order, and you didn't. And some of those people were Will. <laughs> yeah, and... And so you're like, oh, if you can't immediately get that upgrade, Mm -hmm. why did you build that engineering bay? It was literally a waste of money. You should have built it at a different time so that you could immediately click on that upgrade button. Mostly. Um, With some rare exceptions. And that level of play is undesirable for many people. Yeah, and it's like really esoteric and it's confusing. But one of the things that's great about StarCraft is that there's so many ways to mess up Mm. that everyone is messing up all the time. Um, And even at the highest levels of play, you watch these pro-level matches 
and you see things that are clearly mistakes that even like I'm not I'm not a great StarCraft player I'm not even a good StarCraft player okay. I'm an okay StarCraft player and I've thought a lot about the game but you don't get wiped out in the first eight seconds of play or yeah. you know but like I can watch some of these pro level games and I can watch and I'd be like whoa you really messed up but that's because the game's so hard, and there's so many things to pay attention to, that everyone right. is constantly messing up. Right. You also have to think about clicks per minute. What is uh, it? APM. Actions per minute. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but one of the things <laughs> that, that opens up is kind of playstyle again. Because if, mm. if there's so many ways that you can fail or succeed, you can do the thing that Jeff is talking about, which is, like, get really, really perfect at a certain thing. Mm -hmm. um, and use that to succeed. It's not always possible. Right. But also like what Jeff was saying is that if you're good enough, people watch you play. Yeah. And so just like how Jeff runs into opponents who realize what he's doing right. like, with oh, his Protoss carriers. Jeffing on me. Right. But it'll be like many other people will understand what this means, this yeah. strategy that they're doing. And somebody else, and this is the metagame, will know that this really high-end player, let's call him Jeff, mm -hmm. with his Protoss carrier strategy, right. yeah. will know that that is a thing that happens. And other people watch these high-end players do that and copy it. And maybe they don't do as well, but it can actually, if you do it poorly, still do okay. And so you end up with people who are watching that, knowing that that's a strategy, and then coming up with a new strategy that beats the Jeff. Yeah, and you could even, like, if you're really serious about the game, you'll watch that replay, right? You'll download the replay. Jeff will have been, you know, in the top eight of ASL and... American Sign Language? I'm not sure. I think the L stands for League. <laughs> um, uh, StarCraft League? Sure. And well, you'll watch that replay, and if you're really serious, you'll, like, go through bit by bit, and you'll be like, oh my god, I've never seen this Zealot the carrier strat before so you'll analyze it bit by bit you'll pause you'll think about the timings and you'll be like oh well at you know minute seven he doesn't have much defense so mm. if i can come up with a strategy to attack him at minute seven i think i could win if i attacked at that moment and then right. you might look back and you, you might say what is it between minutes one and three that show me that he is doing this crazy thing mm. so then your analysis is if i can get a scout in his base at minute three and I see these buildings I think he's doing this play right. so that means I need to pivot to this attack and get these things to make my good attack at minute seven which is where having analyzed all the replays I believe this strategy is weakest at minute seven Wow. So I've literally never done this in yeah. any game. <laughs> it's boring. Yeah, but it's... But it's fun. Yeah, yeah it can be. And, and I've definitely played magic and read through cards. And I've never been good enough at, certainly StarCraft, mm. but pretty much any of these games to really be creating these strategies, right? Mm. I've read a lot of these analyses. I've watched right. videos of whatever. But in general, I'm not like... Oh, I'm going to solve this problem. Right. I'm gonna be like, I bet there's someone else to solve this problem. And magic is really funny because it has this really interesting indicator of what good strategies are, which is actually the worst part of the game, which is the price of cards. Yeah. So magic, you can be like, why is this card $20 each right. when this card is five cents? Okay. They look naively to be at approximately equal power level. Or more naively, the five cent card looks better. Yeah. But more uh, often, it's like the 8-8 eight, eight, trample first strike thing for 9. Now, I look at that and I go, that costs 9. Right, That'll so, never come out because my win by turn 4 strategy won't let it, right. essentially. Yeah, and that's a big part of it. Um, but it's, it's very funny because you can get some indicators of what is a good card. Yeah. By looking at how much you can buy it for. And there's lots of websites where you can right. buy the cards. And every once in a while... So when I started playing Magic, it was 1993. <laughs> uh, the internet was less of a thing. Right. And... There were magazines. There were magazines. And there was a website during my... I was most competitive in my Magic playing when I was in middle school. Uh, <laughs> it's really been downhill since then for my Magic career. That's funny. In middle school... I built 100-card decks um, with Glenn. We we didn't kill each other for an hour, and then one of us got very upset when, <laughs> when we lost. Yeah. So I was not competitive. In middle school, I spent some time trying to rekindle that naive enjoyment of the game by inventing, like, wacky magic formats. 
okay. But when I was in middle school, and this is now, what, 1996 or something? Seven? I don't know. Math is sure. hard. I graduated from high school in 2001, so that sounds about right. There was still not that much internet. Uh-huh. And there was a website called The Magic Dojo. Okay. And it was a sort of up-to-date set of tournament reports and deck lists, but it was all just a community thing. It was like Magic Wikipedia uh, okay. in the 90s. Okay. And people would post stuff, and we would read it religiously. You know, we'd be like, oh, okay. what's on the dojo? And every weekend, we'd look at these deck lists. But there weren't... It wasn't constant, and people were trying to keep their strategy secret. So they weren't posting them until they won big tournaments. Mm. Like, oh, this is the deck that I used to... Because right? you want the social acclaim from posting the cool thing. Mm. But you also want to win and not give it away to everyone. Right, because right? so like your a, opponents are reading the same website you're posting to. Right. So there was a lot more room for experimentation. Mm. And everything wasn't so obviously solved. Yeah, and I feel like, well, this probably isn't true, but I was in no way aware of the, like, sets that they were coming out with and how they mattered or formats other than just play with the cards you have. Right, yeah. So, like, I knew about cards that I didn't have, and part of that was because my cousin had a magazine The Duelist, probably. Probably. And then it would have combos in it, and one of them was jokingly all of your Fallen Empire cards and a trash can. (laughs) Oh. But I think there's actually at least a small number of very good ones in that Yeah, there's some cards I like in there. But I don't remember. I remember them being like, lots of things hurt you while you play them. But that's probably actually a good, yeah. probably good cards. I think that was like an early indicator where mm. if you were trying to judge values of cards, basically, if you were trying to decide whether a card was any good, pulling out all the cards that seemed to have a disadvantage huh. was like a good way to do it in the early days because they weren't good at valuing. You'd be like, oh, huh. if it hurts you, I see. they might be compensating for it being overpowered. <laughs> Oh, interesting. And they're they're compensating poorly because they don't understand the costs. Oh, okay. There's a chance that they're compensating poorly. Right. And they still occasionally overcompensate. Yeah. And one of the problems with magic is that they just make bad cards. Yeah. And this actually jumps back to the designer-led stuff that Jeff was also talking about. He said in a game that is as designer-focused as mm-hmm. StarCraft. And, but actually, I think StarCraft is not very designer-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, StarCraft gets patches periodically. StarCraft II does for balance. It, gets, it doesn't get them very heavily. It gets expansions, so each expansion has some balance stuff in it. But right. basically, they make a game and they release it. And then they let people play. Right. Well, occasionally the metagame will find a strategy that actually is unbeatable. Yeah, if it's unbeatable or if it's, like, just stupid. So I think in StarCraft 2, they made a unit, the Zerg unit, that spawns little broodling-type things. Okay. And they attack. And there were a couple of matches, like, pro-high-level matches that just involved, like, they were, like, four hours long. And they just (laughs) involved, like, these things slowly moving forward. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, like, completely stupid. What fun. That reminds me of our two-hour game of Magic with Angels. (laughs) Right. This is why I started playing Red mostly, was because Will and I played a game of Magic the Gathering where, uh, well, we both played essentially the same deck, but you had an elixir of immortality in yours. Right. And that's why you won. Yeah. uh, Because you got to shuffle your discard into your deck, and I couldn't. But it literally took two hours, and every turn we lost a few Angels and gained a few Angels, and every third turn somebody, what, Crux of Faded? or whatever yeah, it was. It destroyed Somebody everything. did a board wipe. That yeah. It probably wasn't Crux of Fate. I think it was before that card came um, Yeah, and we were gaining angels because we gained life right. because so, of a card interaction. So we both had like over 100 points of life and eight angels each. Yeah. Eight four four flying um, angels. And it was terrible. It was the worst game of magic I've ever played. But some set of humans I think, and most of them would be under 14, would be like, this is the best game ever Uh, because we got to like take forever and build this cool system. I want to repeat, (laughs) And that's one of the problems with these competitive games is that they they push out play styles that are quote suboptimal, um, Mm -hmm. but that people really want to play. And so that's why if you take a game like Magic or a game like StarCraft, if you take a random person who says, yeah, I like that game, 
Mm-hmm. And then you take someone who is, quote, serious about it, and you just pit them against each other. It's going to be terrible, because the serious player is going to destroy the other person. The other person's going to be like, I didn't even get to play the game I like. <laughs> right. Like, why didn't you let me... We were going to play StarCraft, and instead, you attacked me at minute four. <laughs> and then the game ended. <laughs> and then the game ended. And the, the pro player is going to be like, that's the game. You were supposed to have a bunch of stuff ready to deal with that. What was the magic tournament game? This is... A, a, example of the other direction in middle school that you won with some ridiculous card that never should have yeah this is this was ridiculous but what happened this is super esoteric there's a card (laughs) called roots it's green it's a piece of creature removal it's overcosted it's an enchantment it costs like one green four or something okay and i think it says tap target creature that creature does not untap targets control it's untap Mm. phase my opponent was playing like a better designed deck uh-huh. Um, it was a better designed green ramp deck, and it contained a force of nature. Which hurts you. Yeah, so you have to pay some amount of mana. It's an 8-8 trample for 6 that you have to pay some mana every turn. Right. Maybe it wasn't a... It was something like if that. You, if you don't, it deals you damage, yeah. right? So yeah. you have to do this, but it locks up all of your and land. It, yeah, and it may not have been a force of nature. It was one of those cards that is undercosted. Let's, pre- let's say it was a force yeah. of nature. It's a card that was undercosted and does damage to you if you don't keep it up in some way. Right. So it could have been a Lord of the Pit. So while it's out, you just need to keep hitting your opponent with it yeah. or have it die. And I just happened to use this really, no one plays it, janky piece of creature removal called Roots. And no one plays it because it's a bad card, objectively. Mm-hmm. Like, right. it costs too much, it doesn't do enough. But it was probably, like, the thing that filled that role that you had. Yeah, I just threw it in my deck. I was like, I need to deal with so, creatures. So it's arguably not even play style. Because that implies that you right, looked I at all of the possible options. Yeah, I didn't choose to use that card. It was the one that you had yeah. that filled that role. Right, but so. I just played this card, and it was great, because I was in middle school, and it was at, like, semifinals of a tournament right. or something. Right. And I was playing against someone who was in their 20s, and they mm-hmm. almost certainly thought a lot harder about the game than me because their deck was better and I played this card and my opponent just burst out laughing <laughs> but like in a really friendly way like, well, that's good he wasn't like being a dick about it you know it was like oh my god I'm losing this 14 year old I'm gonna be salty he was just like this is ridiculous <laughs> well see and that's one of the things that is the problem with the economics of magic is the fact that maybe there was a better card that yeah, you could I was have doing the best I could that, and for the most part that won't help you yeah and that's why your opponent and have that reaction. Right. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know I don't who know. this guy was, but if you were playing against a 14-year-old in 1997 at White Marsh Mall, <laughs> and you lost this game and you were friendly about it, props on you. <laughs> nice. He'll be found one day. So one of the problems with this economically is that that is not an option for you to play the better strategy in Magic Yeah, if you don't put in the money. When in StarCraft, you actually have access to all of the options. Yeah, right. And the major problem with any game that forces you to spend money in order to get the options, and it's the big problem with this loot crate situation that we're going through these days, in that players just are better because they have spent more money on the game. Yeah. And how that ruins metagame, or it, it makes metagame only accessible to a small percentage of the players. And I think it's even a little bit worse than that because one of the things that's funny is that I both didn't have a better card to use but also didn't have access to all the cards to know that there was a better choice. And now that is more or less taken care of because the internet knows everything. Yeah, so now if I'm that kid I'm just like I know what card I want and I don't have it. And in fact I know those 14 year old kids who (laughs) study magic because they have infinite free time. Yes, I was watching some of them today. (laughs) Yeah. Owen. Wait, which one? Uh, Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Owen. It doesn't matter. Yeah. There's a lot of kids named Owen these days, it yeah, turns out. <laughs> anyway, the only other thing that I really want to make sure I bring up is randomness, which I've written down, which yeah. has a lot to do with what makes certain play styles accessible and functional at higher level. Like, StarCraft has approximately zero randomness. Sort of. Approximately. Yep. And so I don't know where the randomness is, but there's like maybe certain attacks that hit random parts. I mean, all of the things, like there is in fact randomness in StarCraft, but it's all stupid and doesn't matter. So I think Marines do like 7 to 10 damage per shot. But in fact, they shoot a lot of shots per second. Right. So it doesn't matter. Right. So chances are if you have a number of Marines versus a number of Zerglings, there will be a more or less a known outcome. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. 
I'm pretty sure there is randomness, and I'm pretty sure it's statistically insignificant because okay. of the way the game is designed. Right. But the randomness that is in StarCraft is strategy clashing. It's the randomness of oh. limited information. Oh, yeah, and what your opponent has decided to yeah. do. And because um, they do random matchmaking, or maybe not entirely random, I'm sure they have a ladder system at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And ladder systems are very important as far as metagames are concerned by keeping, like, skill players together. But I guess in game design, there is a difference between hidden information and randomness. Mm. But randomness is a form of hidden information. Yeah, I would argue it hides which aspect of the metagame you're up against and therefore what your strategy should be. And so I I think the fact that you don't know what your opponent is doing isn't exactly randomness, Mm -hmm. but it can be. Because there are strategies in StarCraft where you literally, like, you literally roll the dice. No, you figuratively (laughs) roll the dice. And you say, I'm going all in on this strategy, and if my opponent is doing this, I win, and if they're doing this thing, I lose. Right, but if you pick that strategy and they pick that strategy... Whatever they did, if you were to repeat that any number of times, it would be the same. Right. As opposed to in, say, Magic the Gathering, where you can not draw a land for five turns when you really need one. Yeah, Magic is designed to cause people to lose sometimes for no reason. Right. Which is interesting, and, I mean, it's terrible, I think, in a number of ways. But its designers defend this. They believe it is a good decision. And they make, like, millions of dollars a year, so I'm sure they're right. (laughs) And the fact that they've gotten me to give them money means they're correct. We complain about their games while giving them money, sometimes (laughs) in the same second. (laughs) But it, it matters a lot, and Hearthstone lessens this in some number of ways... In that they have... They have a different mulligan system and they have a different mana system. Yeah. The mana system is... I I like it more in that you just get a new crystal every turn. Yeah. It removes an element of deck building and it removes an element of randomness. And I think deck building is a positive. Like, it's bad to remove deck building strategy and it's good to remove randomness. And I think by removing the mana, a land thing, you remove a lot more of a bad thing and you remove a tiny bit of a good thing. So I don't think it actually makes deck building worse. Like, I I don't think it's bad to remove that part of deck building strategy because... I think that that part of deck building strategy is a way that makes it so that once you have studied it some, like, you study about how much mana you should have in your deck in Magic. And there is a little bit of play there. Like, I've played yeah. against a deck that had no lands in it, right. which there, is silly. But There's extreme examples, but then there's also just nuanced little examples, right? right. Like, Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is interesting thought there, and I think mm. removing interesting thought is bad, but you also remove a lot of other bad things. Uh, yeah, and also one thing that randomness really does is makes more play styles possible to win some games. Yeah. And in that way, it's a lot easier to have a play style that is suboptimal and still have fun, possibly win, Mm -hmm. in a game with randomness in it than a game without randomness in it. Yeah. I don't know if that strictly makes it better, but it makes it a little bit more accessible in some ways, which is better. Right. Like, accessibility is good. Yeah, it's a little bit like the the single-player experience, where you're saying mm. you just have to be at least this good to succeed. Right. Randomness says you have to be this good on average to succeed sometimes. Right. Um, and that's maybe good. Yeah. Because, like, I could beat the best player of Magic in the world... Right. Some number of games, right. and it's probably in the single digits of percents. Right, of but games. yeah, it could happen. But yeah, and then there's, there's, if you decide that what you want to do is cause a certain thing to happen, mm-hmm. and this is where Magic and Hearthstone and StarCraft, StarCraft less so, but all of these games, you can either have your goal, I'm going to win the game. Or you can just really enjoy the process. And you can say, I want these kinds of things to happen. Mm -hmm. And so you can build your magic deck that's a combo deck where you're like, I'm going to win by playing these four cards in a row and it's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. And some of those decks are extremely competitive and some of them are ridiculous and not so. Mm -hmm. Right? In Hearthstone, you know, you can say... I'm going to win by killing my opponent in fatigue. And that's usually silly. Right. But very fun. Yeah, I've I've won some games like that. So you're like, I'm going to play Warrior with Cold Light Oracle in Dead Man's Hand. Um, I don't know what those (laughs) are. All right. Uh, I'm going to make my opponent draw a bunch of cards. Okay, okay. And I'm going to win somehow by doing that. Yeah, it's usually not helpful. Although occasionally you realize what they've done, and you're like, oh, they're going to make me draw my whole deck, and it's going to be bad. Yeah, and that's like a, a generally uncompetitive way to win. Although mm-hmm. sometimes, it, you know, the metagame veers in different directions, so sometimes 
sometimes it is competitive. Mm. But it's a really fun way to win. And you can say, I don't care if I win very often because of the joy I get from winning in this way. Yeah. And I've done that. I have a there's a deck I built in Magic that is not any format, I'm sure. That is Which makes it vintage. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> it probably is just vintage. That involves dealing an infinite amount of damage. Right. And I have to get the exact right eight cards or something like that. And then I just do an infinite number of damage to an infinite number of targets. And then and that's I, fun. And that's fun. It actually can win faster than that. Like, theoretically, I could get all the cards I need on turn two right. and win. But that has literally never happened. And it's really fun and ridiculous. And I lose 60% of the games, at least, that I've ever played with it. Something more than half. And one of the things that's very funny about those kind of combo decks, when I was playing Magic in middle school, the first big competitive combo deck started to exist. Mm. Um, and it was called Pros Bloom. It was Prosperity, Cadavers, Bloom, and Drain Life <laughs> okay. as a combination. Sure. Um, Prosperity is a one blue and X. Both players draw X cards. Okay. Cadaver's Bloom is an enchantment that allows you to discard cards for mana, either exiles them and you either get two green or two black, I believe. Okay. Um, and then Drain Life is Drain Life. So it allows you to spend X mana to deal X damage um, oh. and gain X life. Mm. Um, as long as that mana is black, which Cadaver's Bloom allows you to choose. But the point is that once you have this discard cards for mana card out mm -hmm. and you can cast Prosperity to draw cards with mana, mm -hmm. then if you have enough of these draw cards in your deck, you are extremely likely to draw 10 cards, one of which is this thing, which you mm -hmm. can use to draw 20 cards which you can use to draw into the drain life and kill your opponent. Okay. Just kind of chain these card drawing effects. If you can keep getting more mana, you can keep drawing more cards. Right, I, um, see, I see. And this was the first big combo deck, and the thing that was really special about it was that it was completely devoted to making its combo happen. Okay. It wanted to do nothing else. All right. Um, I think it might have, like, no interactive cards. Like, no creature removal, nothing huh. that does anything other than draw cards, All right. dirtle around, and then kill your opponent. Um, Dirtling. And... Huh. <laughs> And people hate playing against this deck because it's terrible and boring. Right. But this deck is really interesting. And I remember playing against it when I was a kid. And the first time I played against it, it just like blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, mm -hmm. you can play this game in a completely different way. Yeah. Because I'm just sitting here playing creatures and attacking and playing creatures and attacking and getting my opponent quite low. Uh -huh. And then in one turn, they win the game. Right. Having ignored me. <laughs> right. Um, and that's the kind of deck that will probably just lose to a red deck right. that will win in four turns. Um, and this deck was... Or maybe not. Yeah, and this deck was good enough that it won the World Tour, I think, the uh, year it was big. And it was right. the first big combo deck, and then they started worrying about that stuff. This blew my mind, and I was like, this is so cool. And then I was teaching someone magic, and playing magic with them, and I was like trying to explain how there were different kinds of decks. And so then I played against them with this deck, and they were just so mad at me. <laughs> They're like, this deck didn't do anything, you just won at the end after like taking a turn that lasted 15 minutes yeah that's <laughs> that's annoying like, that's like you know you're right that's true my bad but mm. i i missed how the game was fun right like it didn't right. occur to me what my opponent was doing but the thing that's really fun about these kinds of systems is producing producing a factory that then makes wins <laughs> yeah like you're building this machine mm -hmm. and and that's a really personally satisfying play style but then when it clashes against multiplayer it's weird sometimes someone might hate it it might not work and that's why single player games are way more open in how playstyle yeah. works that's true because you can just set a goal a goal that is pretty fixed yeah and then just say however you want to get there go for it but in magic's case there's a lot of your opponent changing where the goal is constantly right and changing what you can actually do all the time and it's not just your opponent either it's your opponent and the game designers and the randomness involved in because it. if you're designing a multiplayer game you're designing an experience for two people to have a great time mm -hmm. and if you're designing a single player game only one person has to have a great time <laughs> and sometimes people's great times are in conflict with each other that's true well and it's funny you said last time one of the last times that when you're playing multiplayer games they're always collaborative yeah. All multiplayer games are collaborative in that you are collaborating on having a good time. Right. Or, and I've talked to kids about this, especially ones who are not very good at being sportsmanlike is not quite right. But right. Uh, you know who I'm talking the about. The ludic frame of mind. <laughs> right. Where they're interested in winning, but they don't quite understand the other social dynamics, especially around board games and yep. playing with other people, is that your primary goal 
for this game is to have opponents that want to play another game with you. Right. Like, first and foremost... You would like to have these people want to play with you more because that's going to be your ultimate road to happiness and not winning this game, especially if you're going to win by not telling them what things are valuable. Right, yeah, and this doesn't mean you should try to lose or, mm-hmm. or anything like that, right? right? It just means just think about the other people. Right, and it's very funny with online games and games yeah. where you're playing with other people that aren't your friends is that you have this you know you don't see that right. and so they have to build these things into the game right and if they don't it produces a kind of tragedy of the commons mm-hmm. where the good players get so good that anyone who joins the game joins in and loses immediately then then no one right. joins and then the game dies because it doesn't have new players right. and this was a problem they were having with eve for yeah. a while but i don't know that much about it so we'll have to talk yeah. about that later yeah i think we've, yeah, we've talked, talked to- about this a lot yeah We've been surprisingly on topic for a lot of it, too, which is odd. Don't get used to it. Yeah, I know. We're going to at least take a break for a minute and then figure out how long we've actually talked for, because my timer is wrong, and then we'll be back to either sign off or talk about a little something else. All right. All right, this is Future Bryce. What we did here was actually keep recording, even though we had essentially recorded a whole podcast already. There was a mix-up with the timer, and we just didn't know how much more there was. So we're going to move the rest of it into another podcast coming back next week. I'm not sure how much of it there actually is, so we might have to record a little more. So we'll get back to you later. In the meantime, we are going to sign out. And back to, I guess, present Will and Bryce. There you go. So I think we're wrapping up. That's correct. All right. Hi, I'm Brent. <laughs> I'm Will. And this has been SideQuests. And you can email us at SideQuestsPodcast.com. Many SideQuests, one podcast. Yes. About comments and questions. And what we would really like you to do is to uh, tell some friends about us. Yeah. Like two or three. Yeah. Just people that you think this would be interesting to. Yeah. I mean, if they're not going to like it, don't tell them. Right. But I imagine that there's people that you know that might also like this. And you should tell them about us. You can also rate us on iTunes. Yeah. And give us ratings on other things. But mostly, rate us on iTunes. Everyone in the world seems to believe iTunes is a thing to be rated on. So I'm willing to go with it. I think it's because most podcasts get listened to through them. I think there's data. That I don't have. It's not my data. Yeah, I didn't take it or crunch it. Yeah. Like you might do. Anyway, so do those things. Yeah. Please. That'd be great. (laughs) Yeah. We'll we'll see you next week. See you next week.